Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, the podcast that is dedicated to your help and growth in three key areas, teamwork, leadership, and culture. I like to say, think of a Venn diagram. Take those three, and the center of that is your synergy point. We bring you guests every week that you can start to use and implement their ideas to help you grow, expand, and be able to work in all those areas, and not just in the work environment, although a lot of our context will evolve around your workplace, but it works in your church, in your synagogue, it works in your little league groups, your church choirs, wherever you are, whatever you're putting a team together, these ideas work, especially when you start to provide service to other people, and that's the key thing. We're in our sixth season right now. We're ecstatic about that. We've, we've hit our well over 100 episodes now. We have been downloaded in over 70 countries, so be sure to hit the like and subscribe buttons below. Uh, go on your favorite uh, podcast site where you're listening right now and hit the subscribe button for us. We're trying to grow our database and grow things and help you become much more effective in teamwork, leadership, and culture. Joining us today, we're very fortunate to have with us a gentleman from St. Louis, Missouri. Now, if you're watching us on YouTube, yes, I made the mistake of looking at his windows in the back and thinking he's in Florida. He's in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, so Ken Wendell is joining us today with Edify, and he's an author, a speaker, facilitator. He's known as the Value Wizard, and he's the catalyst for higher performance, and that's the key thing about here on the Teamwork Advantage. It's high performance, better results, and greater value to whoever you are serving. In addition to his highly acclaimed book, The Value Formula, keep in mind the name of that book, we're going to talk about that today. Um, Ken has written numerous articles as well as delivered unique insights as a keynote and featured speaker around the world, is energetic, is humorous, entertaining, pragmatic, informative, insightful, topical, the first time I read that I thought it was tropical, but that's okay, uh, presentations consistently earn high praise, and I have had the privilege of seeing Ken in the past. Throughout his award-winning career, which now includes two Lifetime Achievements Awards with ITSMF, as well as HDI. And by the way, he's now, I think, the third person of a Lifetime Achievement Award from HDI that has joined us here on the Teamwork Advantage. Uh, Ken's worked with many other organizations and capacities, and he is the founder of Edify, ITSM, but it's really about getting the edification of your business. Ken, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Great. Thanks for having me. I very much appreciate it. And we're excited here because we're kicking off our new season, and one of the things I'd like to make sure we're doing is hitting some really valuable points, i.e. value being part right. of valuable. Right. So, you know, I want to get into your book a little bit, but before we get to the book, you didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to start a company. No. We were talking offline a little earlier. You used to work in magic. Uh, yeah. Okay. So how yeah. did you make that transition to get to where you are today? And let's go back to the beginning, because a lot of folks like to hear what happened. How did you do it? Not just when you started having success, but how did you do it? Okay, so, I mean, I, I, I did, I, 
as I mentioned, as you just mentioned in the introduction, I've worked with it, with and within a lot of companies over the years. Um, <clears throat> and when I was working for the Magic Company, um, I was kind of like in between things, getting ready to go back to school to get my uh, my degree. Um, but that was that was a fun experience. And I and my my background is mostly business. And uh, you know, I worked in finance. I worked in credit and collections. I worked in sales. I worked in marketing. So I worked in a lot of different roles in a lot of different companies and then went back to school and got a degree in technology, in IT. And that's kind of changed the, uh, the trajectory of my career, so to speak. And so I got involved with IT, but I always saw myself and I, I always had this issue with people who say I'm in IT or I'm an IT person. I always saw myself as a business person who happened to work within the IT organization. And I think that that's a, a mindset that more and more IT people would benefit from uh, from um, gravitating toward. But um, so, and, and then uh, as I was working in IT organizations, I was exposed to artificial intelligence or at least uh, expert systems, I think maybe more was the terminology at the time. And that led me into the uh, support and help desk area. And uh, from there, I got involved with uh, service management, uh, IT service management. And we were talking earlier that you'd been you've been involved with the HDI for a number of years. Uh, I'll never forget my first HDI conference back in 1997 in Nashville, Tennessee. And that's where uh, I learned about um, some of these the IT service management best practices that are, uh, you know, they're now you know kind of they were new at that time, but they've pretty much been embraced by most organizations mm -hmm. around the world. Let's, so let's just stop for one second yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of folks who may not know what ITSMF and all that means. Oh, HDI. Okay. You want to take a moment to explain that? Sure. Um, so the HDI is the, was at one time the Help Disk Institute, but it's kind of like Kentucky Fried Chicken. They don't like you know, to be identified with fried anything, so they call themselves KFC. <laughs> it used to be Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now uh, HDI used to be the Help Desk Institute. But now it's again, it's more of an acronym of like HDI, you know, again, like IBM, you know, it's not international business machines, it's IBM. So, so HDI is, is really about service and support and about service management, uh, more, more again in the technology area. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the ITSMF, uh, is an international association, not for profit organization. There's chapters in like 30, 40, 50 state, uh, countries, uh, and territories. Um, and they are mostly about the concept of service management. Um, they were very instrumental in supporting and promoting uh, and getting ITIL, the, uh, again, another one of those acronyms that used to mean something that doesn't anymore, um, but getting ITIL adopted as a set of best practices around service management. So, but yeah, th those are the two organizations that I've been very much involved with. Okay. All right. Didn't mean to interrupt, but I just want to make sure our listeners understood where we were on that. Okay, very good. So you got involved with that. How did you get to and what brought up the concept of becoming an author and speaker in that aspect? Well, I, I've been a speaker uh, for a number of years. Uh, I always tell people that one of the best experiences I had when I was in a lot younger was with the 4-H, um, being in a rural community, growing up in a rural community, and the fact that uh, Boy Scouts only was boys, and I was more interested in both, you know, I was more interested in an organization where there are both men and women. Uh, so as I got involved with 4-H, and they're, they're very much, you know, a leadership organization, a public speaking organization. They, they put you on the spot. Um, so, so I've been involved with speaking for a long time. But the idea behind my book, uh, 
you know, people ask me how long it took to write it. And I have to say it took, you know, almost all my life because it's a collection of ideas, things that I've been exposed to. And, and I kind of talk about this as like, you know, when, again, when you grow up on a farm and you're like walking through a field or you're walking through a wooded area, you get these things called cockleburrs on your, oh, on your yes. socks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, oh, stick, yeah. they stick to you. And I think, you know, in a more positive vein, ideas, concepts, people you meet, books you read, they kind of, they kind of stick to you over the years. And so uh, my book is kind of a, an amalgamation of all those ideas that I, that kind of stuck with me. Uh, and that's how, that's how, no, that's where it came from. So once I started sitting down to write it, it probably took me about two years to actually shape it and put it in, in a, in a form that I think people can, uh, can get a lot out of. Okay. It's interesting. You talked about, you know, books and reading and things that stick to you. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard of the gentleman, Charlie Tremendous Jones or not. Yes, absolutely. Charlie Life Tremendous, Tremendous Jones, his quote was always, in five years from today, you'll be the exact same person you are today, except for two things, the people you mm -hmm. meet and the books you read. That's right. Yeah, and definitely. So, that's so powerful when we stop to think about that. And it is. How powerful I, I networking love is in uh, education. I, yep. I love his, I love his, uh, his book, The Life is Tremendous. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so let's talk uh, a little bit about um, the book itself. You've got five, yeah. prin was it five principles, I believe, in the book? Um, it's, it's, you know, I've kind of vacillated on this. I, uh, you know, like anything, you know, when you, when you write a book, it's kind of like that's, that's the finished product, right? But there's other ideas that keep coming your way. Oh, yeah. And, and so I, I originally called them the five elements of value or the five key elements of value, but I call them now the five components of value because uh, value elements are something different that I've discovered that uh, I've incorporated into my workshop. Okay. But so there's basically five components. Um, the, the book goes into quite a bit of a description of what exactly value is. Because I think, you know, and I joke about this and uh, that value is like the weather. Everybody talks about it. Nobody seems to know it, do anything about it. So, um, so it really is about it. what's that? And nobody can predict it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Not with any degree of accuracy. Uh, so, so really the book is about, you know, doing something about it, learning, you know, learning what is value. Uh, and it may surprise some people what, what pe I mean, because not everybody values the same thing I do. Not everybody values the same things you do. It depends exactly. on their circumstances, situation. So it, it does take awareness. Um, so it talks about value. And then the first, uh, component is vision that, you know, you and I were talking about earlier about uh, on purpose teams, that value isn't something that is accidental, it's something that's intentional. And using, uh, having a vision of what it is that you are about as an organization, the essence of what you are about as either an individual or as an organization um, is, is vital. You need to know where you're going. And then the, the second element is alignment which if you're serious about your vision, if you're serious about where you want to be as an organization, then it's incumbent upon you to commit to that. And that's what alignment is, you know, that all of your efforts, all your best efforts, all your focus needs to be on the realization of the vision. Uh, though the, that vision, and I, I, if, if, with your permission here, I'll just pull this up real quick, but the, the diagram goes like this, okay? The alignment is kind of in the middle supporting that. And then on either side of that supporting alignment are two cornerstones. One is leverage and the other is uniqueness. 
And those two areas, those two components uh, are vital in, in supporting that alignment. We look for things outside of ourselves, um, outside of our organization, resources, capabilities that we can leverage to augment our activities. And then we also want to capitalize on our own uniqueness as an organization, what our special value is, what our special capabilities and resources are. And then that is underpinned by the fifth component, which is execution. Until we execute, until there's action and activity um, in support of the vision, um, the vision is just a pipe dream. So execution supports the other four components and also uh, holds them together. Okay. So execution is, uh, as a friend of mine, uh, I, Jim Duff, I met years ago, his, his phrase was execution is the secret sauce that it's, it's, that, it's that part that a lot of organizations just, they, they, they let things get in the way and they, they dilute their efforts by not having that focus and by not properly executing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you a question. Okay. okay. I'm ready. Yep. Can you send us, so I can put it in our show notes, your, um, your image that you showed in the back of the book? Absolutely. Yeah. Be happy to do that. Okay. That way we okay. can get it. So the people that are not watching us on, um, on YouTube right now, they right. can pick us up and pick up the image so they can get that image right there. I'll yep. make sure yeah. I put that in our show notes. Yeah. Happy to do that. Okay. All right. So let's look at these vision, I think is powerful alignment leverage. Um, how do you uh, get people to provide le And by the way, when you're talking value, let's, let me just back up here. All right. When we're talking value, are we talking value to the customer? We're talking value from the leadership aspect to the team. Are we talking leadership, the value between different teams within an organization? What are we talking about? Who are we providing value for? Well, and that's, that's an excellent question because a lot of times people think that value is only from the service provider or the product provider to the customer. Right. Um, you know, and, you know, I very much am a, People, you know, people make the difference. And uh, I, I go along with, um, you know, a number of the, the thinkers in the world that say that, you know, your first audience, your first stakeholder are your employees. That, you know, if you treat, you know, you uh, train them so they could go to work every, anywhere, but you treat them the way that they would never want to leave, right? So it's like, um, so people are a primary stakeholder. So it's really any stakeholder that you need to provide value to. And for a, you know, for a public traded company, obviously you, you need to make sure you're providing value to your stockholders yep. because they're investing their money in your organization. They deserve a return, a fair return for that uh, faith in your organization. But, you know, but I, you know, I spend, when I talk about customer um, in the book, I always say, you know, I kind of use the little asterisk that says, this is anybody to whom your organization or you personally need or want to provide value to. Right. Internal or external. Exactly. Absolutely. That, that's, that's the key aspect there. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people use the term value added, providing things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of salespeople use that, the value yes. added aspect. Yes. It is, it goes way beyond that because that's going to drive the culture. Right. When we're providing value between our team members to each other, we start to assist. So now we've got teamwork providing value. We've got great leadership providing value and mm -hmm. the teamwork providing value back to the leader. 
it starts right. a very good symbiotic approach on that. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's there again is that synergy in the middle of our Venn diagram. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and that, that's actually a good segue. The 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 final chapter of my book talks about everything working and everything working together. In other words, synergy. Um, and I use uh, there's a story that uh, stuck with me for a long time. Rich Tierlink, who became the CEO of Harley Davidson. Um, I heard him speak a number of years ago, and he talked about how Harley Davidson, when he went in as CEO, he said nothing was working. You know, manufacturing wasn't working, marketing wasn't working, uh, the relationship with the distributors, the the you know the uh, people who were selling the actual motorcycles, nothing was working. And he said his first order of business was to get things working, and then he says once we got things working, then. We had to get everything working together. And he says, and once we got everything working and working together, in other words, marketing, working with design, design, working with manufacturing, manufacturing with logistics and distribution. He says, once we got that, that's when Harley-Davidson became a force in the motorcycle industry. So okay. it's that synergy of everything working, but also everything working together. Yeah. Again, it goes back to a chain is as strong as its weakest link when you start looking at all that. That's true. And that's, that's, true. What the, that's what the greatest teams, the greatest organizations have done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're looking at value. Let's look at value in another approach. Mm -hmm. We've had a couple of um, guests on our podcast over the years who have talked about core values okay. and having the core values in place. Right. An organization having their core values, even to the point that um, when they get to the point of making a decision, about whether to do something. Some things are pretty cut and dry. We're going to do this. But mm -hmm. when they get into a situation where it's a little questionable, they put it to their values test. They've got five values right. that they hit. Now, not, right. not to be confused with your five uh, elements here. Right. But they've got five values. Right. And if any one of those five values are not being met by doing that decision, they won't do whatever right. they we're going to do. Right. So value and values are are different yes that's where i want to go I with think, yeah, yes um and you know in what you're talking about there i uh i had the opportunity when i was working for a large beer company here in the st louis area who's i won't mention their name but most people <laughs> most people know who they are um i had the honor have of horses, so, right yeah yeah they have a uh, big these big uh, horses um so i had the uh opportunity to go with one of the subsidiaries uh which was in the um amusement park business to a disney institute session and one of the things that they talked about was not just you know again disney as an organization and what they how they operated and so on and so forth but they talked about uh the the values the disney values and, and again how they make decisions based upon their values and he he just basically threw some up on the whiteboard he, you know he said talking about you know, financial performance guest experience uh, safety, um, innovation, uh, you know, imagination. I mean, all these values that, that the, the, the Disney organization holds near and dear. And he, and he asked the, the, the participants of this workshop, this, uh, Disney Institute workshop, you know, which, which of these is the number one value that, that Disney holds as an organization. And there's a big discussion, right? You know, so I said, well, financial performance or, you know, innovation, uh, guest experience. And and he said, it may surprise you, he says, but the number one value is guest safety and employee safety. He says, because he says, when you think about it, an injured guest is an unhappy guest. 
an injured guest is an expensive guest. So he said, so safety is our number one value. And because it has, the, at, it has the big, biggest impact in every other aspect. Exactly, exactly. So he says there's a hierarchy. And I, you know, again, a lot of times organizations will throw out, you know, these are our corporate values. But one of the recommendations that they made in the, in the Disney Institute is also you need to put them into a hierarchy, which, which one trumps the other one, so to speak, which one is the one that um, makes all the difference. Uh, again, prioritization is an important concept that I think, again, a lot of organizations can and should uh, leverage more. That's fascinating to pick that idea up there. Yeah. That, that's absolutely cool. One right, of those so, things that stuck with me. Yeah. It, it's interesting yeah. how certain things will stick, and that, that yeah. absolutely makes per, uh, perfect sense. So in your book, you talk about maximizing value. Yes, yes. What do you mean by that? Well, um, in the organizations I've worked for in the past and organizations that I have had the opportunity to work with, I find a lot of times there's a dilution of their value, that they are either working on things that really don't add to value, and especially, you know, again, working with IT organizations, with IT organizations, a lot of times what they're doing doesn't necessarily translate to value to the, uh, to the organization or to the customers of the organization. And so when I talk about maximize value, I mean, value comes from two things that we have. We have resources, uh, the raw materials that we get to work with, you know, it could be software, it could be a fleet of trucks, it could be buildings, it could be you know, all these resources we have. And we also have capabilities, things that we can do with those things. And uh, a quote that I share in the book that kind of hit me around that is that what we have doesn't create our value and what we can do doesn't necessarily create our value. It's what we do with what we have um, to be able to maximize the value that we can draw from the resources and capabilities that we have possession of. Uh, and this is why the, the concept of leverage is so important is because there are resources and capabilities available to us that we just have to research, find them and tap those. And I give an example in the book of Steve Jobs when he was a young boy was looking for uh, a component for a project he was working on for a science fair. And he knew that Hewlett Packard made those. And he looked in the Palo Alto phone book, found Bill Hewlett's phone number and called him. And Bill Hewlett was so impressed with um, this young boy that he not only gave Steve Jobs, this young boy, this part, he actually let him come to work on that assembly line that summer to learn more about that component and how it was manufactured. And Steve Jobs says, I'll never forget how powerful that lesson was of reaching out and asking someone for help with something, to have access to a resource that I would never have had access to if I didn't simply ask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my philosophies has always been the answer is no. Until <laughs> exactly. You ask. Until you ask. Exactly. And it may still be no. Right. But it's definitely no if you don't ask. Right. So I, you know, I, so I explore a little bit about, you know, why, what keeps people from asking for help um, and looking out, uh, you know, I, so I give a number of examples of both individuals and companies that have been able to increase their value simply by leveraging the resources and capabilities of organizations outside of themselves, you know, a partner or a training organization or, mm -hmm. you know, some area of expertise. A lot of organizations are starting to realize that ability by 
having a training department or uh, learning and development department and still going outside to bring other ideas in. Right. I know that Disney is that way. They bring yes. people in so their people do not become their terms that I was told too Disney-fied. Yes, exactly. So that's that's key that we recognize. Right? You remove that uh, center of familiarity. You bring in something from the outside. It, it tends mm -hmm. to work with that. So yeah. you've got to be able to leverage. So a great manager is going to leverage the people he or she has on the team, but they'll also possibly leverage other people within the organization uh, right. or even outside of the organization. Yeah. And so I, I primarily use the term leverage for those things that are outside external to the organization mm -hmm. and uh, uniqueness um, its counterpart is those resources and capabilities within the organization people are facets of both there are people we can leverage former bosses uh, our current boss um, people we may have worked with uh, I, I've talked to people who have reached out to a former professor or you know instructor at a university and asked them for help and found that they're very amenable to helping uh, a former student. Mm -hmm. um, so, so again, there's resources outside, and then also looking at people internally. How do we, um, how do we best leverage or utilize or capitalize on the expertise and the the capability internally? And again, and I, internally can mean within the whole organization. If you're a, a three, four thousand yes. employee organization, yeah. that may be internally, but it could also be leveraging externally away from your team. If yes. you're in the IT department, the help desk department, the development team, uh, you may want to reach out to customers support oh, team. Absolutely. absolutely. So that's leveraging yeah. people outside of your departments. And I want to make yes. sure that, that gets illustrated yes. there. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Just because you know, whatever team we're talking about here, there are resources and capabilities internal to that, but there's also resources and capabilities external to that that yeah. can be leveraged, that should be leveraged. Yeah. Look at a football team. Uh, every now and then a quarterback gets hurt and then the backup quarterback gets hurt and their third string quarterback could be a kicker, could be a lineman, could be a wide receiver. Mm -hmm. So they have to be able to know who's got the what that they can leverage from different places to be able yes. to pull something off. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, so that's again, that's, yeah, it's an important concept. So let's, so, look, no. at, let's look at uniqueness for a minute. Uh, -huh. uh, Dan Sullivan, um, a financial advisor, excuse me, a, uh, coach on financial advisors. Mm -hmm. has been known to say, find your unique ability and delegate everything else. Huh. Now, I, okay. I get that, and it makes sense. What are you referring to about uniqueness here? Well, um, I, again, I, I, those things that stick to you over the years, um, I saw a presentation by Sally Hogshead, who wrote a book called Fascinate. And she talked about a, a quote, that, again, that she made that <laughs> stuck with me was, different is better than better is better. And there's another book um, that, I, that, I, that I utilize uh, and talk about, um, which is called The Tyranny of Choice. And we have so many choices these days of you know, products and services that there's so much noise that you, that you have to stand out from the crowd. And that's where uniqueness comes in. Is and I so I agree that you know there are th if you do the same thing everybody else does then you're just going to get lost in the background. There's something about your organization that is special that is unique. There's something about your message, your product or service that is very special, right. and you you focus on that, you capitalize on that. And Sally Hogshead talked about um, the uh, the liqueur Jägermeister. Yep. 
Okay. She says, nobody on the planet likes the taste of that. No one. It tastes horrible. And yet it's one of the better selling uh, liqueurs or, or, or alcoholic beverages because it's a community thing. You know, people are like, you know, they're taking their shots of Jägermeister and it's like, you know, they're shaking it off. Um, <laughs> but she says they capitalize on that uniqueness, that aspect of that particular product that nobody else has. And, you know, I always loved, uh, Apple computer, you know, IBM had, you know, the, 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 the thing think and Apple came along and said, think differently. And so that was their uniqueness. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, it, it helps you stand out from a crowd. It makes you, um, again, it, it, it's in support of your vision. Uh, so you can look at those companies that stand out, what makes them unique, and then think about your own organization, what makes you unique. So let's, let's drive this down from the organization, from the C-suite down to the individual teams mm -hmm. and the individual You could be a, a team I want to go back to my days in the mortgage banking industry. You could have one team over here and another team doing the exact same thing with a different group of people. But each team has its own uniqueness that they can pull together. Yeah. Is that what you're referring to here? Well, um, even though they're doing things. the same process, the same end result, the way right. they get there, as long as they're still staying within the values line of the organization. Uh huh. So this is one of the things when we were talking about maximizing value. Um, I, you see a lot of times, and again, this is going to be different from organization to organization, but a lot of times you see within a large company, what you were just describing, two different teams doing the same thing. Um, you kind of have to step back and say, this, this, this makes sense. Are we maximizing our value by having two separate teams focused on the same thing? Mm -hmm. Would it make sense to make that one team? Right. Okay. Or, I mean, is there a reason, you know, what's, you know, ask, you know, step back and say, well, why are we doing it this way? Right. In this case, they were doing it for a, they had multiple offices okay. doing it, so they were a hub center. So people would come in and gotcha. work with this team from Baltimore, this team from Richmond would come in and work okay. with this one. So, so they, was, that made sense. Okay, all right. So um, when, when we talk about execution, because I think this is where this kind of ties in, um, is you have, you know, people need to know what the goal is. They need to know what they need to do to achieve it. They need to know where they are in relationship to achieving it. In other words, have some sort of a score, score scoreboard, scorecard, and then they need to hold each other and there's and the, uh, and their team members themselves and their team members accountable. Uh -huh. um, so it kind of goes to the thing of like, you know, what what is the goal? Um, and I, I feel like I'm getting off track here a little bit, but um, one of the things we talk about is to look for pockets of excellence. And I think this is where you're kind of describing, you've got two teams, both basically doing the same thing, maybe for different regions of the country. Um, is one of them doing something special, different, that's making the difference in their success? And then adopting that on the other team. Yes. So you can, yeah, so that you can use that uh, internal best practice to increase our value to our customers. Right. That's where I come back to about the ability to sharing knowledge. Okay? Yes. If exactly. you've got different teams providing services for different parts of the country on a help desk, for example, right. this team has an idea that this team's not impl uh, implementing yet. Right. Yeah. Sharing that knowledge. That's Absolutely. What it starts to bring. So we take the uniqueness of our team that makes us who we are, yes. and we share the concepts over there. They may not yes. do it the exact same way. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, when I started speaking and training myself, 
I followed a gentleman named Tom Hopkins. Okay. I love the way Tom's ideas were, but I couldn't implement them the exact same way that Tom right. did. Right, right, right. So, and that's, that's one of the aspects of uniqueness is because something that might work somewhere else may not necessarily work the same way internally in, in our organization. Right. Um, you know, I, I've always been a fan. And I've, you know, I've done these for a number of organizations over the years, a SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, <laughs> and threats. And if you if you do that and you look at it from a value perspective, like what strengths do we have allow us to deliver our value? What weaknesses help uh, inhibit our ability to deliver value? What opportunities do we have to create more value? What are the threats to that? And you know, looking internally and externally, you know, resources internally, externally. But um, and from that, that's where you can get those ideas that might be shareable with another similar organization unit within a larger corporation. Okay. Now, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. So we've hit your, your elements pretty good uh -huh. on all these. Yes. Is there any one in particular or what really holds uh, teams back from maximizing their value? Well, again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, the, the foundation that holds everything together is execution. Again, the secret sauce, as my uh, good friend Jim Duff used to say. Um, until you actually do it, no value is released. And so I think of the, of the and, and, and what stands in the way a lot of times is, uh, and, and I draw very heavily from a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution, which is a phenomenal book in and of itself. I mean, I highly recommend it. Um, but they talk about that, you know, we come to work every day and we face what they call the whirlwind. Yep. Those things that just impede upon our time and keep us from really staying focused on the activities that we need to stay focused, focused on that move us toward our vision. And they give a recommendation and I share this and I've shared this with a number of uh, customers over the years is as uh, high achievers, we want to achieve. And we translate that a lot of times to meaning, I want to have a lot of goals. And what I always very strongly recommend is look at the goals that you have as an organization and look at the one or two that are the game changers. Those two things, okay. no more than three, that really will make the biggest difference to you as an organization. And you stay focused on those one, two, and again, no more than three things, because as they point out that it, uh, and that I also reiterate, is the more you focused on, the more diluted your activities are, and your accomplishment is diminished. Yeah. If you have ten goals, you may you may accomplish one, but you're not going to accomplish it with very much complete completion or excellence. Right. If you focus on one or two, again, no more than three, yeah. then you're very likely to accomplish those with a degree of completeness and a degree of excellence. Right. And Let's that's, look at, uh, for example, yeah. top high-end restaurants. Yes. They typically, the high-end restaurant does not have an, a vast menu. True. They've true. got their, their niche for what they're focusing on. Now, they may change that from season to season or even yes. week to week. Yes. But the Mortons, the Roos Chris's, the Ocean Airs, they've right. got their very specific niche, if you will. Exactly. what they do. So they're, they're, they're unique there but they're executing it very well. Exactly. Okay, now don't get me wrong, the other places, 
you know, like the Cheesecake Factory has a vast menu. Right. They execute quite well for as vast as their menu is, but it's just very interesting. Yeah. I mean, and so what we're talking about here, there's an organization I work with that had lost a large percentage of their staff through various reasons. Uh, uh, maternity leave, they were promoted, you know, staff members promoted some other organization within the company. And they were, in the words of uh, a key person I worked with there, he says, I w- we weren't keeping our heads above water. We were drowning. And they were trying to do everything they were doing before they had lost so much of their staff. And and I my first very strong recommendation is you need to prioritize. You need to prioritize who are your most important customers? What are the most important things that you do as an organization? And one or two goals that will help you make the difference in the next year. And they, they accepted that recommendation reluctantly because they didn't, they didn't want to say, well, this, this customer is more important than this customer. But in reality, there are always those customers that have more influence or that, you know, that represent more uh, revenue or whatever it might be, whatever your criteria is to determine importance. And once they did that, they, they got a lot less stress in their life because they realized we don't have to do this. There were meetings they were going to or sending people to that they really didn't need to. They could just, you know, read the notes afterwards. Or instead of having the whole team go to the meeting, only maybe one person went to take notes. So, so they, you know, prioritization is probably, again, one of those things that can make the biggest difference. And prioritizing one or two highly, what, uh, what Stephen Covey talked about is wildly important goals that makes the biggest difference. And when they did that, um, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, Corey recently, the gentleman I worked with there, and he said he did a presentation for his team, you know, about a year ago, explaining where they were when I came in to start working with them and where they are today. He said the new team members, he says their jaws were on the floor, like, you know, you've got to be kidding. I cannot imagine coming from that to where we are today. Um, and again, because they embrace these ideas of prioritizing, mm-hmm. uh, especially those things that they focus their best attention on, because the whirlwind is going to get you. Oh, yeah. But yeah. if you stay focused on those one or two things that make the biggest difference, that's that's where it makes the biggest difference. So yeah. where does prioritization fit within the VALUE? Um, prioritization starts in alignment and carries down through and into execution. Okay. We can begin to prioritize when we think about, again, the priority is, is a it's is, an element it, of each of the, uh, is a sub-element of each of them. Yeah, yeah. That, but again, okay. it, it comes into play, most importantly, within execution, because okay. that's where we decide what are we going to spend our best efforts on. Okay. Yeah. I think you've kind of answered my next question already. Okay. And that is, your book and the concept of value has kind of been referred to as a governance. Yes. So is that what you're referring to there is, okay, if we understand that, I, so explain what you mean by that. I'm not sure if you've answered it yet or not. Well, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I, when I wrote the book, um, again, I was thinking from the standpoint of you, if you have resources and capabilities and those in, in combination are how we create our products and services that we deliver to our customers, that's where we, and that's how we deliver value, right? To our stakeholders mm-hmm. is by taking, you know, taking our resources, taking our capabilities and turning those resources into something of value to a customer, like taking lumber and also, you know, pipes and wire, and then taking our expertise around electrical and plumbing and to build a house, right? 
So we transform our resource into something of value. And so I was thinking primarily of like, well, how do we make sure that we're, you know, right, know what our resources are, know what our capabilities are and use them more efficiently. And then also look outside ourselves to find resources and capabilities that we can leverage to, again, maximize our value to our customers. Okay. So that's what the premise of the book is and was. In the meantime, um, you know, it, when you put something out there, and you've probably seen this happen too, it kind of takes on a life of its own. Oh yeah. And uh, a gentleman um, read my book, and he comes from a perspective of management systems and governance systems. And he says, you know, you have to have a governance system for a management system to work within. And he saw my book as and my model as a governance system. Because again, if you think about it, you know, governance isn't about control, putting your thumb over your organization. That's governance right. is about, again, getting people on board in support of the vision, the mission, the goals of the organization. And that again is about value. Your, your vision has to be, what is our value that we're providing? And so if you have an organization that's truly focused on the vision and the value that we provide as an organization, then governance naturally follows because you're spending, you know, you're not going off on tangents. Um, you're not diluting your efforts as an organization. So, so from that standpoint, then I would say without a doubt, the, the, the value formula model does represent a, a governance model from that and that's standpoint. also goes back to the prioritization too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's, you know, it's an, I mean, like I said, uh, I, I don't pretend that there's anything in this book that hasn't been said by someone somewhere along the line. Um, if there is any inspiration, it's, it's that the model that, you know, the star, the vision, that's what guides us. That's what compels us. Alignment is an arrow that, that supports and points to that. And that, Again, all of our best efforts need to be in support of the realization of our vision as an organization. Okay. We look for things to complement that, our internal and external resources and capabilities through leverage and uniqueness. And then the foundation is execution. That is probably the only inspired part of that. But it does, again, I think it makes sense. And I, okay. and I credit my son for helping me come up with that. Okay. We've talked a lot today. And we yes. can keep going for another hour. We've been on for quite a bit now. Yeah. But we've talked a lot today about it from the organizational standpoint. Right. What is the one thing, maybe two, but no more, okay. that managers within an organization could do tomorrow? I think the, and that, and that's, again, that's a, that's a good question because it, it makes me, you know, start thinking like to, to prioritize what I want to say. Um, and I think we kind of, kind of talked about this earlier. Um, well, first of all, you know, I, there's a book called The Work of Leaders. And, and one of the things they say in there after researching and, 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 and uh, with a lot of different organizations is they said that um, you can have vision without, without leadership, but you cannot have leadership without a vision. That a leader sets, sets the vision, a leader, this is where we're going as an organization. This is what we want to be as an organization. Mm -hmm. And they set that 
they set the pace. You know, you, you've heard the thing that the, the speed of the pack is the speed of the leader, right? And so they have to kind of set the example um, of what a leader is, is someone who is, and it doesn't have to be, you know, this big sweeping vision, so to speak, but it has to be something that inspires and it, you know, it's something that people can be inspired by and be, and, and to have as an aspiration. Right. Um, and when I've looked back at my own leadership roles in various organizations over the years, that's something I took very seriously is I wanted to make sure that people knew that I knew where we were going as an organization so they could buy into that. And if they didn't buy into that, then they, they didn't stick around very long. Right. So, so that would be the first one is, is to really think about and craft a statement of what you are about, the essence of what you are about as an organization. Well, or um, just even just as your team within an organization. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I mean, in I support. Sure I want to make sure we're addressing that. Yes. It's not just thinking globally. We're now right. thinking locally. Yes. Which impacts yes. globally. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, the, the important thing also to make sure that your vision isn't in conflict with the vision of the, the large organization. It's got to be and congruent. Exactly. They've got, they've got to, you know, it's like you know, the nesting dolls, right? You know, they have to kind of like be part of that. Yeah. And, and that's why it's great so, analogy. yeah, it's so great. I mean, it's so important. I think that the, uh, the top management needs to understand that responsibility as well. That's not something they can delegate. Right. Um, and, you know, and a, and a good vision statement is crafted. It's not just, you know, you can't buy it off the shelf. Nobody can come in and give you one. You have to, it takes some imagination, it takes some goal setting and some, uh, or some soul searching. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so that would be the first thing. And the second thing I guess I would say is to really understand what your priorities are in support of that, that once you really know what you're trying to accomplish, what are the, the, the again, the one or two wildly important goals that you should set for your team in support of that. So they know what they're trying to accomplish, that they don't feel like they're, you know, and you know, Stephen Covey talked about that, that, you know, you, you, somebody comes in and says, I want you to start working on this. Okay. What do you want me to take off my to-do list in order to do that? Because it is a question of priorities. Um, does it move us toward what we're trying to accomplish as an organization? If it doesn't, then why are we even wasting time on it? Right. It's, it's a back to Dr. Covey's begin with the end in mind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think of all the books that have inspired me over the years and have tried to incorporate and support the concepts, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people is that book. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I try to make sure that what I put down in my book um, supports those ideas and, and incorporate those ideas in it. Ken, it has been absolutely powerful today. Thank Finding you. the ideas that you brought it to us to talk about and the ideas that people can start to use. Yes. So you've got a copy of your book right there. If you just hold it up uh, right on yep. camera so everybody can get a look there. at it. There we go. It is called The Value Formula. Value Formula. Yep. So uh, pick it up on Amazon, wherever, and you're going to send uh -huh. us your little uh, PDF or whatever of the yep. model so we yep. can yep. show that as well. Yep. In our show if notes. I could, do we have time for, I can throw one thing out real quick. Sure. Um, I, I recently, um, and I, I talked about this earlier that I put together uh, a workshop, um, a one day workshop and I, and basically my, my, my tag on this is people will, you know, and we talked about this early values, like the weather, everybody talks about it. Nobody seems to want to do anything about it. Um, and you know, people will say like one day we're going to really focus on value, the value of organization. 
And what I've been saying is this, this is that one day. Uh, value doesn't happen accidentally. Um, value, it takes a decision, it takes um, action. And so, you know, the, the one day value workshop that I facilitate can, um, can make the dip, big difference in, you know, being able to start focusing really on the true value of your organization. Right. So I'll just, that's, my, that's my plug, so to speak. Okay. And folks can find you, just look, look you up, uh, find you on LinkedIn, connect with yes. you there. It's probably the best place. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Folks, once again, uh, we've been on here now for 45-ish minutes. Um, the whole idea is to give you ideas that you can implement right away. Yes. And once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, we get ideas that you can implement immediately. Ken has shared with us the value, the elements of value. Think about that for your teams as we're kicking off this new year, as we're rocking and rolling, ready to get things focused and help you grow in the coming year. Until next week, remember, having a good day, that's just being average. Do not go and have a good day. Make sure today and every day is excellent and exceptional. Until next week, thanks, Ken. Take care. You've been listening to The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on The Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.